Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Karadimus. Hello and welcome to Business and Property Development. This is the second part of my conversation with Sarah Riley, founder and managing director of Cred Consulting. In this part, we discuss industry insights through the lens of social planning and how the social planning discipline is being used to create more robust and resilient communities. I hope you enjoy it. to some of your industry insights. The one thing which really caught me, and I think this is such a wonderful phrase, it's called you know, complete communities. Yes. And that instantly grabbed me as every project try and aim for that. So what I'd like to understand is how do you go about trying to get there? So complete communities emerged because I feel like everything's very focused on places. Yeah. And that's great. Placemaking is really important. But I think people find it much easier to understand the world in tangible, physical, built form outcomes. And Complete Communities was kind of a way of saying, let's focus on the outcome that builds relationships between people yeah. and better outcomes for people, which is what a community is. So that's where that came from. Yeah. And then we tried to think, well, what are the elements of places and cities um, and neighborhoods that can help deliver that the, the places where people connect from your main street to your library your public spaces and diverse housing choices you can't do that in every project but what you can think about is what element of that the project can deliver yeah mm. it can contribute yeah not every project we do is going to deliver public space outcomes yeah. it could just be a research piece it could be an engagement piece that will inform something so we're not always going to be able to do that but we'll always be thinking about that's what we want to that's what we want to do ultimately so say for example if we took a couple of situations like say brownfield sites and then you've also got greenfield would be see ways in which you can you can alter them or tweak them so that you can there's you, lots of things we mm, can do differently yeah. one of the things we can do is require community benefit analysis to be delivered at the beginning of the development of a planning proposal yeah. when the flood study's done and the traffic report's done and all those things that inform what yield is going to be delivered on a site and how it's going to be delivered, we could start requiring that at the beginning rather than through what we call a social impact assessment at the end when it's way too late to do anything. As you would know, once that yield has been decided on and, you know, the money's been thought about, um, to go back in and say, I'm sorry, you need to remove 100 dwellings and put a library in or you need to move your building to the side so that the park could be on the corner and become and become a public space, you know, rather than a landscaping <laughs> landscaping outcome. It's too hard to do it then. So one of the things we can do is is acknowledge that it's an, an essential technical study that we should be doing at the beginning um, of our planning processes. Yeah. So that, that's, that's one thing. From an ideological perspective, we can start to say our decision makers can start saying, and I think they are starting to say that now, that social outcomes are essential. Social infrastructure is essential infrastructure. So the Australian government recently defined social infrastructure as essential infrastructure, which is incredible because now you've got that, you can just constantly say, no, actually this is essential infrastructure. The Australian government says so. So that's really, really helpful as well. And that came about post COVID 
when all of these community halls and community centres and spaces people gather and connect became places for vaccinations. During floods and fires, they became the emergency centres, they became emergency housing. It's where people got their information. And all of a sudden, these people who hadn't thought about it realised, wow, these are really essential pieces of infrastructure yeah. that we need to ensure are in every community or that also we're making better. So if we're talking about retrofitting places, there are lots of things we can do. We can focus on embellishment. We can focus on improving what we have. And I think that's a really big mantra in the industry. You know, make what you've got work harder. Mm. There just isn't land left everywhere anymore. And also it's expensive. So let's be sensible. What can we do and, and to improve what we have? And we can also link our places up better that's a really big focus right now is you know what we call recreational loops and links so linking up our centers to our urban areas that might not have a center in them and making sure that there's good active transport links everybody wants to walk everybody wants to cycle Mm. so how do we then make our streets and our other spaces um, become you know part of our community rather than just car heavy and hot tree canopies all those things we need that we hear about all the time that everybody talks about all the time but you don't always see getting delivered i think that's Mm. a bit of a frustrating thing too people kind of know what needs to happen it's not always easy to make it happen what i'd like to also understand is when you're sort of out in the community and you're doing this work how do you distinguish between to act as the medium through which community sort of articulates what they need versus we actually think this is probably the best outcome for you how do you strike the balance with that in yeah. terms of the work that you do? This is a really common question. Mm. So somebody asks you to come and do a community engagement and yeah. then they say, but what happens if the community wants something that we don't want? Yeah. And you say, well, community engagement is one indicator in a whole bunch of other indicators mm. of research that will go into understanding the needs of a community. Yes. Community engagement isn't the only thing you would look at to make a decision. And I think that's really hard for people to understand. And sometimes you write a community engagement report and you write what the community said and people say, but that's not right. You need to take that out. You say, but that's just what the community thinks. Mm. doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but that's the perception that they have. So what we do is we would argue that you should be engaging from the very beginning of a process. Mm. And you keep those communi- the community involved. And at the very beginning, you would ask people for information about the place. Just like you might go out and look at what, where are the speed bumps on a road or where, where are the holes in a road, you would ask the community, tell me about your place. What do you do here? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? And at that point, you're just collecting information that's going to help inform the next stage, which might be then coming back to the community with some ideas about how things could be improved. What do you like about that? What don't you like about that? Fantastic. Thank you for that information. Mm. And then you would go away again with all the other research and evidence and indicators, etc. And then you would come back, you know, with hopefully a plan or a process that it's not a surprise to anybody and it has there has been an evolution of development yeah there's a real fear around engaging with communities for that reason yeah but i always think it's better to know what people are thinking to make a good decision and that if you involve people in the right way and collaborate with them and give them enough information that they can make informed decisions or give you informed insights then by the time you get to the end of the process you there's no surprises to anyone you have a plan that's been well well um informed and understood by people and you have the feedback from both yeah the community themselves plus your well you've also doing a whole heap of technical studies along the way it's not to say that the community engagement (laughs) is the decision making aspect of the research it is one piece of research and it it has multiple purposes so at the beginning like i said it's it's a form of information collection Mm. just like any other bit of 
you know, scoping that you would do. And then as you go along, it's to help you make decisions and to plan for a successful outcome. I wonder how through the fear of finding out what you don't want to hear in a community, uh, how, a, how much opportunity has been lost. But that's a good thing to hear, like, because uh, sometimes it's reasonable, sometimes it's not reasonable. Mm. And I guess that's then the job is to go, well, we don't think it's reasonable for these reasons. This is why this is going to be a difficult thing to do. This is why this this is why we're making this decision. Mm. And I think, again, it's all about honesty, all about real conversations. And it's all about not being scared of of that. What about exemplar scenarios, places where you understand that they're working really well? Do, do you have any examples that you can share about? I feel like Oran Park is one of my favourite public spaces and it was a fantastic private public partnership development. Landcom, I'm pretty sure, was involved in Camden Council and they have built the most incredible outdoor recreation space that's representative of the community that is kind of being built as a soft entry point for people to come in um, to access library and other community services and facilities and council services. And it was built in partnership with the local community. And what it's done in an area that was quite well, semi-rural, I suppose, is Korea has created this incredible hub in a new place as it's been de- developing and growing. Julia Reserve in Oran Park is a really great example of how you can do things really, really well. Let's talk about some lessons from COVID. I think one thing's for sure, COVID's brought out a lot of peculiarities with the way we were able to interact for yeah. a really long period of time. And, and one of the things that came about was just this aspect of like isolation and, yeah, and loneliness. Yeah, definitely. I'm wondering how things have changed over the past, say, three years with the emphasis on bringing people back together. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, like, we're group beings and it's mm. actually really hard to be separated from one mm. another. So have you noticed any changes in the way planning has come about? I think people are a lot kinder to each other mm. and within the industry as well there's an understanding that it's been a tough time mm. and that we do need to care a little bit more about each other and I think people are more open to talking about how they're feeling either a bit vulnerable mm. they're tired or whatever in the beginning people were really unkeen to come back out mm. into group environments I think what's been really interesting from a community engagement perspective is you know, in the past, you would always have these workshops and ask people to come to you at this workshop or have focus groups. And you would come to a room and now people, that's really exhausting for people. So a lot of this online change has actually been strangely good for building community in, in a way because more people are coming to a workshop or more people are coming to a focus group because yeah. it's easier for them to get to. and You might not just be getting the same old people. That's been a really interesting change, which probably I would never have thought was a good thing, but actually is has been quite a good thing because more people are able to get involved. Yeah. And when you do do things in communities, you have to make them really interesting. That's the other thing, to get people to come to them. So we've started doing what we call workshops and night walks where you meet a group of people and you walk around their community with them and you have really great visual communication tools to work with and you make it really, really fun and interesting and it becomes a bit of a gathering or a bit of an outing and so it's a really fun thing to do. So we found people really love that and want that. So people are really keen to get back together again but also there's been this evolution where because we had to all go online and we all had to pivot and change where we did things it's kind of opened up I think the way we can engage and communicate with each other as well particularly for people who who can't get out to a workshop people with a disability or who have transport disadvantaged or whatever they're able to engage in things that they might not have been able to in the past as well our team being so amazing we we literally you know in one week had to change our tech systems (laughs) 
Um, like a lot of consultancies, <laughs> to completely change everything yeah. we did. We had to set ourselves up with Zoom and Teams and all mm. the different things, which have ultimately made us incredibly more efficient as a yeah. result and able to communicate with each other. We developed tools for the industry around how to engage online, how you can reach vulnerable groups. So again, we kind of took that lead and said, we, we're learning all these things. We want to share that. So we shared that. I know people in London who read our materials, which was really exciting and awesome. built a great relationship with the woman who saw them. We had to completely pivot, but at the same time, that meant that we expanded almost our networks and our ability to communicate. What I'd love to understand is, given you also have a, a Brisbane office, how did you manage to keep it all together? Well, again, like everything at Dread, um, our Queensland evolved, uh, evolved out of a, one of our team being from Queensland. And because of COVID, realising that they wanted to go back to the state, then their family and all those sorts of things found a really incredible person, Julia Miller-Randall, who came from another consultancy who has significant experience in Victoria and Queensland, who'd moved to Queensland as well. And again, it's just one of those fortuitous things that we, we were just able to build a team in Queensland. Culturally, that is that is a really big challenge. Mm-hmm. How do you maintain a nationally consistent brand and culture? And that's what we're working on right now as a yeah. team. And again, it's a lot of collaboration. Yeah. It's a lot of honest conversations. It's also working on our visual brand. So at the moment, we're revisiting that to make sure that every single thing, all our templates and reports and everything is consistent across everything we do across this, across the country. And I think it's also taking a national approach. So we don't have, you know, we're not two separate organizations. We're the same organization. So we all meet together as a leadership team and talk about what's going on and plan how to address any challenges we see coming up, jump on any opportunities. That's what we do. We literally build it together as we go yeah so incredibly difficult yeah because very I, difficult yeah even just working from home i find that not necessarily oversight but just the fact that you can have somebody next to you is is so harry things just happen I like i agree you know? yeah. and as an old dinosaur <laughs> i'm finding the working from home world very difficult yeah, to yeah. get my head around yeah when you're a young person sitting next to someone more senior means that by osmosis you learn things mm. You can hear someone on the phone and you can come out and say, hey, you know, probably you should have done it this way or that way or whatever. When people aren't in the office, it is really, really difficult and it's difficult to build those relationships. So in our Sydney office, where like most people, we do hybrid now, you know, three days in the office, two days at home. I come in most days just because, you know, it's nice to get out of my house. But also I just think it's really important for me to be here and keep connected to everybody. Mm. But I do understand that that's the world now. I mean, I don't know that that's going to change. I know a lot of other consultancies now have a five day in the office mandate because they're just finding it too hard so i guess what we try to do is we go back and forth so we make sure we visit sydney and uh, go to brisbane and we have regular check-ins as a leadership team as much as we can and we just try to keep the communication going really strongly and i suppose that's what's nice about an all-female almost all the female organization is that you know that you're quite used to checking in and connecting and communicating not to say that men aren't but i just think you just brought up in a world where that's kind of you're trained to do it yeah and uh, no it is it is different like for example and and particularly with myself i like actually sinking myself into yes that's right kind of leave me alone sort of thing and but you forget that you've got to you've got to talk with other people and you you have to get in there and you have to do it because they will equally not feel like they might just need some direction or one of my young my earlier staff said to me once you don't I don't know what I don't know. 
as a manager, a really insightful thing for me to understand that people can't just sit there for two days and work on something. Yeah. But they might not know what they should, you know, whether they're doing it right. Mm. And I think that's one of the challenges in working from home is you can't just walk up and say, hey, how are you going? Do you need any help? Or yeah. What can I do uh, to help you? Oh, and then you can help people with something they might be stuck in or that they might not know they don't know. That's one of the challenges I'm finding as a manager, that it's yeah. not as easy to do that. And you don't have the time when you're running a company to be setting up Teams meetings one after the other all day to check in on people. It's about looking ahead and and innovating and like you mentioned consulting you can never stay still never stay still you've always got to be keeping up keeping ahead so where do you look to make sure that you're always improving or perhaps exploring different ideas yeah it's really really hard when you're a small consultancy to find the time to develop things I think one of the things I've noticed is there's a lot more people doing these subscription kind of subscription kind of services at the moment you know lots of sort of automated service surveys around places and people and things like that which are super tech heavy and require massive investment which you know I think when you've got a really service driven driven business like this Mm. are really hard for us to compete with and probably then you'd go then we wouldn't compete with them. It's not something we would do because yeah. it's not who we are. Yeah. Tricky one, Harry. Mm. What what do, what do you do? You get advice and and, and you find new markets. Yeah. And so for for us, we would be looking at if we might go into recession, possibly. Then government might not be the best market for the next few years. So how can we take all these incredible skills and knowledge we have and work in other areas? Yeah. And you know, social value is such a big big concept at the moment. Mm. So how can you take that concept? How can you take how we engage and plan and think about communities and community needs how can you take that into the corporate sector for example and then help them invest their social value dollars in the best possible way and hit the most people in the best possible way because we understand communities so well we understand so many communities you know from little tiny ones to great big ones so how how do you then help other people yeah. by imparting that knowledge to them so I think that's what you have to do you just constantly got to be looking for diff- different markets mm. well that also fit within your culture yeah, your and your yeah, brand yeah. your values that's right I, I like to start wrapping up sort of bringing back to the cred business and, and your journey in, in running yep. it so some personal reflections on <laughs> what it's helped you achieve from when you started what would you say that is what it's helped me achieve yeah so personally um, personal reflections in running a business and what it's helped to i guess fulfill in in your life i guess running a business has really helped put a a microscope on myself um which is incredibly challenging can i tell you i'm a loud big person which not everyone can handle it's an incredibly useful skill to have if you're running a business and you have to get up and front of bunches of people and you have to sit around a table of men in suits and not be even a little bit phased by it but it can be a challenging personality in smaller environments or when you're getting feedback because I like to get feedback I don't like to get feedback (laughs) but I ask for it it's very very challenging because you constantly got to be thinking about how you're doing things and what you need to change about yourself. A lot of the time, the boss is the problem and you have to be able to identify those problems in yourself and then go, okay, what do I have to do to make that different (laughs) and make that better? And that's hard. You know, I'm 52 years old. It is hard to change, but it's incredibly, incredibly rewarding. And Mm. so, so those... Those things that I've had to do in my business world to grow and change and to run a more successful business 
I have, I've also then reflected on myself in my personal life yes. and been able to improve my relationships with people as well, yeah. which I think has been really amazing. You may not have had that opportunity. For I probably wouldn't yeah. have had that opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Who knows where I would have ended, ended up, Harry? I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a constant evolution. Well, I'd like to end on, on one final question, and that is career highlight. Whatever that is, whether, if it's something that really stands out as a key moment for you in your, in your journey. I think recently we worked on a project for the Departments of Communities and Justice where we wrote a a resource for local government on how to build social cohesion in communities. And it was A, exciting that somebody wanted to build a resource around how to build social cohesion, but it was also incredible to really bring together all my years of knowledge on how local government operates across all the different departments and all the different areas of influence that they have and write a piece of research and a guide for local councils to help them build local, to help them build social cohesion in their places and their communities in a super practical way. A, it was wonderful to be given the opportunity to work on it and B, it was just quite incredible to know that this is a thing now, that social cohesion is a thing now. And that's also a result of all the shocks and stresses that we're facing, the floods and the fires, the pandemics, things like that. What we know is that without socially connected and cohesive communities, we cannot respond. We can't respond to shocks and stresses. As people, we collapse and we fail. And we, if we don't have systems and networks in place, so people know how to get help or how to get information on what they need to do, or if government agencies don't have connections into those communities, then we can't respond when there's floods, fires. And, and we've seen that. We saw that in the uh, during the fires, yeah. um, and we saw it during the floods as well, that government, and during the pandemic, government didn't have relationships with local organisations. People didn't know where to go. There was a disaster. Places like Japan, for example, who've had... Tokyo who've had um, earthquakes for so, so long have such strong, strong established social ties from the community level, for the family level to the community, all the way up to the different levels of government that when something happens, everyone knows exactly how to respond. And so it was very exciting to see that this social cohesion is being understood now as probably one of the most core elements of how we respond, how we, how we can respond and how we can recover from mm-hmm. disasters, which are going to be hitting us more and more. Oh, that's amazing. Sarah, thank you so much. For <laughs> thank this you, Harry. Conversation You're and, a very, uh, very excellent <laughs> interviewer, so thank you. Uh, thanks again. Uh, look, I'm so looking forward to sharing this in the new year, so um, thanks again. This is the end of the episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Sarah's journey, her business wisdom building cred, and the essential contribution her firm makes to cred's clients and the wider communities they work within. From a business perspective, the standout for me was the clarity and purpose that the cred team works with. This in turn guides the way they work and the passion that they have for their craft. From an industry perspective, Planning and delivering social and community outcomes highlights just how complex the system is, how hard you have to fight to get them into projects, and how critical it is to get the feedback as early as possible, ideally before yields are set. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please take the time to rate this podcast on your favourite listening platform. Well, that's it from me for this month. I'd like to thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to sharing the next month's episode with you very shortly. Take care, and bye for now. Thanks for listening to Business and Property Development. Join us next month for more insights from people whose business is property. To subscribe and listen to other episodes, head over to businessandpropertydevelopment.com.au.